Hello, we've got some exciting news. Would you like to join the History Film Club? We are a very exclusive club and anyone can join now. We've got a brand new Patreon, so you can get your own membership number and badge. There's also merchandise, extra content and live watch-alongs. There will be more details after the podcast, but to join, go to www.patreon.com forward slash historyfilmclub. Hello and welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tanzelman, a historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and a consultant to film and television. But we have a very exciting applicant to join the History Film Club today. Um, one of my heroes and indeed gurus, it's Frank Spotnitz. TV showrunner, writer and producer, he started his career on The X-Files, which is not historical, but lately he has made a lot of historical shows that you may have seen, including The Man in the High Castle, Medici, Masters of Florence and The Magnificent, um, and now Leonardo, about not the Ninja Turtle, but the famous artist Leonardo da Vinci. Welcome, Frank. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. So, Frank, um, you've made this new series, Leonardo, and obviously this follows on from the Medici series, the three series um, based in Florence in the Renaissance. Um, what is it about Florence and the Renaissance that you just can't leave alone? <laughs> well, honestly, they keep asking me. That's why um, <laughs> I, 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 I never would have thought of myself as somebody who would write historical drama. And I was so surprised when they asked me to do Medici that anybody would, would think of me for that, that I was intrigued. And I, I thought of it as a big challenge. And I ended up enjoying it very much. Um, but to be honest, when they came to me for Leonardo, I said no, um, both because I had done three seasons of Medici and because I thought it would be really hard to make a series about an artist. And uh, I, I turned it down. They went and pursued some, somebody else for a year. And then they came back and said, uh, we've got Steve Thompson on board. Will you reconsider? And I said, okay, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'd never met Steve, but I said, okay, if Steve's doing it, I'll, I'll do it with him. And, um, and it ended up being just as hard as I thought it was going to be. So I, I, was, <laughs> I was right in many ways to turn it down. Well, I've started to watch it and we can't, obviously we won't talk about the plot lines or give any spoilers, but um, well, firstly, it made me just pine for, to visit Italy again, having been in lockdown for a year, this kind of wonderful sort of Renaissance uh, world that you'll be constructing. Um, but it also struck me that, you know, Leonardo is a name that we're so familiar with and we're so familiar with his visual imagery, but actually I, I did wonder how much our audiences would really know about his story as a person. And is that one of the aims of the series, is to try and move our eye away from the art a bit and to think about him as this individual genius? Yes, and that's one of the big challenges in doing the show, is that there simply are huge gaps in what we understand about him and his life. We just don't know. And so you're meant to write this drama that depicts him as a full you know, three-dimensional human being, and we just don't have the information to do it. And so even if you were going to be the most rigorously um, faithful uh, storyteller, you would have to invent things. There's just no getting around it. So what Steve and I did is we sort of picked up a clue we had, which was we know about this woman who was called La Cremona, who we know was a, a model and we know that she was important to him, that in one page of his journal, she's among five or six people who he said needed to travel with him. 
And so history doesn't record anything more about who she was, but that's a clue to us. And so we built this whole narrative about who she might have been uh, and what she meant to his art as a way of getting at who we imagine Leonardo might have been. On the one hand, it's very bold to sort of imagine this, this female character and, and invent this importance in, her, in his life um, of, of this muse. But on the other hand, something had to be there. You know, there, there had to be some personal dimension to his life that history didn't record. So it felt like this was a really um, useful character to us to, to get at his artistic soul, if you will. Frank, I was really interested in the point you made earlier about how it's hard to approach artists in historical drama. And I think that's true, although, of course, lots of TV and filmmakers have tried in the past. Why is it so hard? Well, I went and I watched a bunch of uh, things about artists that have been done in the past. And I think it's because two things. One is the stakes, the dramatic stakes are, will or will I not succeed in creating this piece of art? And if you don't, okay, well, you didn't create a piece of art. It's not like a, you know, a, a murder mystery or, or even a love story. It's, it's an artistic endeavor that's going to succeed or fail. Um, and then the second thing is um, you kind of know that The Last Supper was completed and you know the Mona Lisa exists. So finding suspense and, and drama when, when you know the outcome is not uh, always easy. Um, can we talk a bit more about Katerina as well, this uh, female character that we've, you've constructed into the drama? Because I saw um, before Leonardo was released, there was some sort of discussion about introducing such a fiction and was this a love story that was being imposed on Leonardo's kind of narrative? But it's not a love story, is it? She's the spoil. She's the muse. She's the person who kind of helps us understand Leonardo's character. And it's not a, a sort of straightforward relationship that they have. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about, about that, about that fiction you've created around her? Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's, it's, not, a, uh, it's not a sexual love story anyway. It's, it, it's a platonic love story. Um, one of the first decisions Steve and I made was, it was clear to us from our reading of, uh, of many books that Leonardo was what you would call today gay. I mean, it, it, this is one of the funny things too about doing historical drama is that at the time, obviously, gay was not a, a category. And the idea of sexuality, especially in Florence, seems to have been much more fluid to, to the point that if you were a Florentine, that was sort of slang for saying you were somebody who slept with boys. Uh, it was really common, apparently, for men to have sexual relations, especially with young boys. Um, so one of the first decisions we made was our Leonardo was going to be gay, you know, as we would understand it in the modern term, and we weren't going to shy away from that. And so um, for us, the character of Katerina is not a love interest in any way. Um, and we make that really clear by, by the second episode, and it continues throughout all eight, you know, that, that there's no sexual component to this at all. But she is a way of accessing him as a, as a person and his sort of lonely life. You know, he's an illegitimate child. Um, his young mother gave custody of him to his father, who was a notary, who in turn uh, gave custody of him to his parents. Um, and then he went into this uh, workshop, this artist workshop, Verrocchio's in Florence as a young boy. 
So he didn't really have a family per se. And, um, and so Katrina is, is a way of sort of getting at this personal story of Leonardo and his, his somewhat lonely life. And then because she's a model and a muse, she's a way of getting at his artistic life and what his art meant to him and what he sacrificed to achieve his art. And that, I think, ultimately for Steve and me, ended up being the most moving thing about Leonardo as a man was how much he sacrificed for his art and his work. He really was this most extraordinarily curious person. He was curious about everything. And the sheer number of hours he spent on his art and his science and his inventions is just you know, astonishing. Talk about work-life balance. I mean, his, his balance was way out of whack. It was all work. <laughs> and um, you know, I think about that in my own life. Like, why am I drawn to spend so many hours of my life sitting alone by myself in my own head? And, and, um, and that's something I think we could really relate to about him. So again, Katri in a completely non-sexual way uh, is a character who helps us um, understand Leonardo uh, in those respects. And I mean, if we're talking about this kind of magnificent period uh, of Renaissance Florence, I mean, I was lucky enough to work with you on Medici and, you know, it's such a world to be given access to, just visually so incredibly rich. And of course, moving on to Leonardo himself, I mean, you know, you couldn't really have much better visual material to work with. Um, but it is also great drama, isn't it? It's a period that we just keep going back to. Um, you know, what is it about that period that you think particularly people love? Well, it's true. And, and it was it was my pleasure to, to work with you on Medici, and it was especially because you were so thoughtful and um, and and well-informed about history and these issues, and, and you really aren't <laughs> afraid to, to dig in with both hands and make them into real people. Um, I think a lot of people approach history like this, and it's it's sort of like they don't want to break anything, you know, and that doesn't really work <laughs> when you're trying to um, to make a drama. But, you know, what's astonishing about this period is the ambition of it. And it was sort of like civilization was waking up after a long slumber, and everything was on the table. You know, art, science, philosophy, politics, uh, economics, everything was being reinvented. And, you know, the Medici family, it's incredible the ambitions that they had, you know, ambitions that it took many, many generations of this family to realize. It was like understood, you know, that it would take um, each uh, successive generation continuing to carry on this, this struggle for the family to achieve its aims. And you look at Leonardo, and, and this was part of the thing we wanted to do, was put him in the context of his time and explain why his art was so extraordinary. And he was somebody who really took his lessons from nature. You know, he, he was a polymath, right? He was both an artist and a scientist. And he looked very carefully at the way water flowed in streams, or the way birds uh, moved in flight, or clouds in the sky. And he brought this incredible discipline to his art to try to make it as truthful as he could. And it's astonishing to realize that the standard of beauty that we still live by today, 500 years ago, was defined, you know, in that time period. And, you know, no one uh, more was more central to that than, than Leonardo da Vinci. And I think the Leonardo series does 
just make you reflect on what it takes to achieve something extraordinary, like his work and the attention to detail and the, just the curiosity of his mind. And I think as historians, we often sort of want to challenge this idea of greatness, that we shouldn't just study great people, that we need to, to move away from some of those narratives. But then you get a character like Leonardo who has achieved such remarkable things at such an early date. He's so modern in so many ways that you realise what it takes to stand apart from the historical record and to have this body of work, which is, you know, just truly genius. And I think the series really, really captures that essence of, of this one individual who is just doing something completely remarkable. Yes, I think that's right. I think he's one of those white males who does deserve you know, to be celebrated. Yes. <laughs> he does deserve his place in history. Um, he but can I think stay that's the other thing. We like Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, absolutely. He is the best of us. He is. He is what you know. Western civilization is justly celebrated for because there's just this absolute devotion to beauty and truth and this rigorousness about it that I think is incredibly inspiring and and, and uncynical. You know, which is a great contrast to our age, as is a quest for truth, which you know is increasingly hard to come by. But I think that's the other thing, and this sort of connects to what I was saying earlier about gaps in the historical record is, you know, you realize the people who wrote history tended to leave out all kinds of people who were definitely there, who definitely played important roles. And this was an issue somewhat on Medici as well. You know, this especially tends to affect women. Like, we know mm -hmm. that women were always important, just as they're important now. We know they played critical roles in history. But nobody bothered to record that all too often. I mean, that's not always true. There are many women whose lives are recorded in history, but there are many others who were ignored, like La Cremona. And I think for us, it's sort of like through an act of imagination, you rescue these people um, from, from having been erased from history. You, you imagine who they might have been and the roles they might have played. And I think there's a kind of justice in that and a kind of truth in that, even though it's fiction. Um, which is why I, you know, don't shy away from that or apologize for that. I think it's a, it's a valuable uh, thing to do to imagine uh, the importance of, of people that, that these historians, you know, who are the definition of conservative, right? These are historians mm -hmm. from the you know, 15th and 16th century. They, they were not concerned with uh, the kinds of issues of, of justice that we're concerned with today. Um, so this is a way of sort of... Um, of, of not setting the record straight, but kind of imagining more uh, accurately, I think, uh, which is funny to say when it's make-believe, but imagining more accurately what the past might have been like. It's the Following place on that, drama Frank. can go, isn't it? Where it's the gaps in the historical record that drama can, can mine. It's those places, the shadows, and that's where you can take those stories when you're, you're writing them, presumably as a writer. I mean, both you and Alex would have experience of that in a way that I don't as a historian. But um, I always think that that's one of the great values of TV drama and historical drama is looking at those gaps and those, those shadows and imagining who those people are when we don't know so much about them. Yes, I think initially when we, when we encountered those gaps, we thought, oh no, what do we do? There's these terrible gaps. And then you start to realize, <laughs> wait a minute, these gaps are the opportunities you know, to, to, to let your imagination free and to come up with, with, um, with parallels between the past and the present that make these stories relevant to people who are alive today. And, and really, that's the point. You know, if you aren't making it relevant to people who are alive today, what's the point of telling the story? So you're looking for, you know, 
threads in Leonardo's, in Leonardo's life that you can pull forward to, to the present to, to move people and to make them look at Leonardo again. And then, you know, you, your ultimate hope is that people are so inspired and moved by the, the drama you've created that they go back and they read about the real historical figure and, and, and learn what, what we do know and what we don't. I'm always, always trying to trying tell, to tell other, historians other historians that that's, that's one of the big, big benefits, benefits of historical, historical drama, drama that, that, you know, you know every, every time, time there's a new Tudors series, series, then book sales on the Tudors go up, that this does create absolutely a general interest um, in the subject. And, and it's the beginning of inspiration for a lot of people. Um, and I think for a lot of us historians, it's how we fell in love with history was often by seeing something on screen. So I personally, I personally think it works. Well, and I think the podcast and the club is now excellent. I think that's right, and I think anybody who is really familiar with Leonardo's life and looks at our series will see the vast amount of research we've done. I mean, you know, amidst the fiction of things like, uh, you know, there never was a murder allegation against Leonardo da Vinci, and, and we don't know that much about La Cremona as a, as a human being, but, you know, most of the episodes, uh, most of the storytelling is consumed with the real stories of his art, and you know, you will learn a lot about the real uh, history of Leonardo and his art through watching the show. Every episode focuses on, you know, one major piece of art. Some of them are well known, some of them aren't, some were never completed, um, some were lost. But um, you do learn a lot about the real uh, person through the, through the series. Also, I'm hoping that you will correct a big historical error because finally, since Dan Brown made it the Da Vinci Code, everyone's just called him Da Vinci. And finally, this show restores his proper name of Leonardo. In the first episode, he says, uh, I'm Leonardo from Vinci. And I nearly cheered like, yes, that's where he's from. It's not his surname. Thank you, Frank. <laughs> because everyone gets that wrong now. <laughs> Um, so hopefully not anymore. Hopefully Leonardo will restore his true name. So that's very good news for historians. <laughs> and the Ninja Turtles, of course, did get it right, unlike Dan Brown. So there we go. <laughs> we should also ask you, so Frank, when we have new applicants for the History Film Club, we ask them to nominate a favourite historical film or TV production for the club library. And of course, it can be absolutely anything. Um, what would you like to nominate? Wow, this was such a tough one. Um, but I think it has to be, for me, I, Claudius. Um, Wonderful. Because it, not only is it absolutely brilliant, but I saw it at an absolutely critical time in my life. I was 17 years old, and it just blew my mind, and it continues to inspire me to this day. So that would be the one I would pick. It's really wonderful. And do you think, in a sense, it's funny that you then sort of went and did, you know, the X-Files and all this, and then you sort of worked your way back to historical drama. Somehow I, Claudius, got its hooks in there. Well, you know, to be, to be really honest, even the X-Files in these episodes about the conspiracy around alien life, you know, and, and the backstabbing and scheming and stuff, there's a lot of <laughs> Livia in that. There's a lot of ancient Rome in that. Um, I, it, it really did seep its way into my subconscious uh, mind. So I realise as you've nominated this, Frank, that I could nod along and say, oh, I, Claudius, great film, great film, because I sort of feel like I know it. But actually, I don't think I've ever seen it from start to oh finish. It's not so a film, I'm gonna have to. I'm going to have to rectify yes. this on TV series. Yes. TV it's series. It's so wonderful. <laughs> it's so wonderful. <laughs> it, I, so I definitely recommend it. 
Oh, goodness me. So we're definitely going to have to screen that so that I can um, catch really up. Brilliant. Yeah, we'll have to put that in the club library. I mean, it's, it's a proper, proper classic and it is, it's that brilliant writing. And I think, Frank, your point is exactly right that actually the writing is so good. And I think this is always the case with historical drama that, you know, the setting, you can, you can put it in space, you can put it in you know, 16th century Italy, anything, it doesn't matter if the writing is good, it can go anywhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you think what carries some of these stories is a sense of dynasty and sort of the power of succession of individuals? Because I don't know if that is one of the elements of I, Claudius, but that is in Medici, isn't it? The sort of sense of, um, of how either one person or a group of individuals can achieve and secure their position. Um, and is that what makes a good historical story, do you think, Frank? Is that one of the... I, it's about power. I, I have to say that that is what I discovered doing Medici, and it's absolutely central to to I Claudius. It's, it's it's about family and generations and succession, but I discovered the power of family in storytelling. It is it's one of these primal things that everybody understands. You know, you don't have to have been um, uh, in an emperor's family or in a Florentine banker's family to understand what it's like to have, you know, a father who you have problems with or siblings or children you know everybody can relate to that and um it's a it's a very powerful storytelling strategy to use a family to access all of these ideas and with medici by the third season you know we've moved on several generations in the medici saga and you have these young children growing up and it's just uh you know, I, I got tears in my eyes. I, I watched that, you know, 20, 30 times editing that each of those episodes, and I would still be moved watching these children um, growing up in this family and coming to terms with who their parents were. Um, it's really, it's really rich. Well, you might like to know that one of our uh, film club guests nominated Medici for the club library as one of their favorite oh, that's dramas really nice I think didn't hear. they Alex isn't that is it that was lovely that, and, and she didn't know that I'd worked on it so obviously she immediately got let into the film club with the highest <laughs> honors <laughs> I like her already <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. um, yeah with no prompting so that was a very very exciting day um, but yes that means oh, that nice. actually Medici made it in before I Claudius but they do of course now both have equal status on in the club library and on our shelves so, well, um, not, not for me, but that's very kind, though. That's, that's very nice. <laughs> I, Claudius, I, you know, can't top that. But Yeah, I'm quite happy well, to admit I'm not that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank, we also ask a very difficult question of our, of our applicants um, to nominate something that annoys them or irritates them about historical drama, something that um, you would like to see not in the club or in the club library. And it can be either a drama or it can just be a, an idea about history or some kind of presentation of the past in some way. Have you got something that really irritates you? Or I, I thought about this a lot. And actually, the thing I'm going to say, I, Claudius, I'm sorry to say is guilty of, but um, <laughs> this is going to be a funny one. But it's the lighting. I, it really yes. bothers me. Yes, like when the rooms are overlit or or flatly lit, it, it's it's like it just takes me out of the uh, out of the atmosphere. And I don't, you know, I don't insist that it has to be perfectly accurate. I think there's a degree of interpretation always. You know, of, you're interpreting the past for the present, but when lighting is just flat and overlit, it really drives me crazy. 
I actually I so agree with this. I was just talking about this the other day because I rewatched um it's a magnificent series, but the Glenda Jackson Elizabeth series and it is so brightly lit inside every Tudor house. There is a kind of glaring beam, you know, it's that sort of BBC drama style. And it looks exactly like Blackadder, which, of course, was mocking it. But it does. Everything is too bright. And you think they only had candles and fireplaces, you know, <laughs> just wouldn't be like this. But but that was the way they did it. I think that's moved on a lot now, hasn't it? There must yeah. be some big technological yeah. shifts that allow for more lighting. I mean, now when I'm on it with a drama as a consultant, I just look at all the kit and think, wow, it's really cool. But we always have those really big balloons in the sky inside a ceiling that have that soft lighting that, that creates. I'm usually on an 18th century drama, so it's a sort of candlelight effect and a natural lighting. And it, presumably that's quite a recent technological development, is it? Or, or should those early yes, dramas have been doing their lighting better? <laughs> Well, I, I remember the movie Barry Lyndon, I, I probably saw 20 times you know, in the cinema when I was a kid. And Stanley Kubrick had to uh, modify military surveillance cameras to be able to film scenes with only candlelight in that movie. And that was like 1976, wow. I think. And, but now, because of digital photography, there are scenes, many scenes in Leonardo, where we just use candles. And, you know, that was it. And, and that was the cameras are sensitive enough to be able to, to light the scene that way. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely no big flat lighting in that. It's no problem for people that are going to see it. <laughs> yes. So we can forgive lighting in the like previous dramas, I think. But modern, you know, current dramas uh, need to have good lighting then to get into the history film club. That can be our I think our we'll accept that. Yeah. What do you think? Yep. Flat lighting, yeah, banned from the club. We, we can't relight I Claudius, can we? We can't redo it. Sadly. <laughs> but no, it's still great. It's nice it's to know that it has a flaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful, Frank, and thank you so much for your time. I think we are more than happy to accept you as a fully fledged member of the History Film Club. Thank you very much. Ooh. Very happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Now, Frank, we do like to buy our new members a drink from the historical bar. They can make any drink, modern or, or ancient. Um, what would be your tipple? Oh, well, my favourite cocktail is called the Boulevardier. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with that. But it's a yes. Negroni, but instead of gin, it's whiskey. It can be any whiskey you like, bourbon or scotch whiskey or Irish whiskey. But um, it's just, it's bitter and sweet and complex and... Uh, can't be beat in my, in my estimation. Just like Sounds Leonardo. Could, I was just about to say the same thing. We could rename it the Leonardo. <laughs> Alex got there first. <laughs> no, we'll be wonderful. The Leonardo um, cocktails at the History Film Club. Yes. We'll, we'll put a Boulevardier in order. Thank you very much, Frank. Um, and thank you all for listening to the History Film Club. I'm Alex von Tanzelman. I'm Hannah Gregg. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the History Film Club. If you'd like to help us make more episodes, we have a new way for you to get involved. You can now become an official History Film Club member, which will get you a membership number and badge and gives us the opportunity to create more and more of the podcasts you love. There are also lots of exciting benefits like merchandise, extra podcasts, members-only chat and live streams. To get your hands on all of this, go to www.patreon.com forward slash History Film Club and join us today. Join us. <laughs> Join us or die. <laughs> Maybe you can't join us or die. <laughs>
You've been listening to the History Film Club podcast with Alex von Tonsemann, Hannah Gregg and Frank Spotnitz. It was produced by Nat Tapley for Globing Productions. 